G'day and welcome to episode 10 of the leadership series of the Kingdom Business Podcast. This episode is a little bit out of the box. Uh, I've just finished filming uh, an episode of Kingdom Business TV with Craig from my office where we looked at the current business landscape and what's happening with some of the biggest businesses, in both, both tech businesses and offline. And we kind of pulled them apart and we made that practical for small to medium businesses. So in this one, you'll get to kind of follow along and uh, it's a longer episode than normal, but we, we kind of talk about a whole bunch of different companies, the good, the bad and the ugly, and then try and make that relevant for you. So hopefully you enjoy this episode and please, uh, it would mean the world to me if you would give us a review if you would give us a, a, a comment uh, and subscribe to the channel. Way. Anyway, I'll let you get straight back to it. Bless you. Hi, and welcome to episode 60 of KBTV, Kingdom Business TV. A little different now because you got two people to look to look at and to listen to. Look, we thought we'd change up the 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 format of KBTV just to try something different. Now you may know may know of me from behind the scenes. I'm Craig, the one that Wes is normally shouting to when I'm messing something up behind there. I've made too much of a mess of things behind there, so he thought I'm going to get you in front of the camera so that you <laughs> so mess here and they can see you. <laughs> yes, so it's all my fault. Hey, uh, thank you for joining us. Hey, if you got uh, got questions or anything we're talking about, chuck it down in comments. We can see your comments here, and we love to see those comments come through as well as give us a like, give us a share, um, share this out. But a slightly different change, not just because there's two of us here. We're actually going a little bit, a little bit old school with some newspapers. Now, where this actually started from is probably about two months ago. Wes challenged me. He said, what are you doing to learn? And obviously I'm consuming content all the time, but he asked me about what, what am I up with current events? And I'm like, I don't hate the news. I, I, I stick clear of it. And he challenged me. He said, well, if you want to run a successful business, if you want to know what's working in the world, you need to be up on what's, what's happening in the news. So I, uh, I then went and I downloaded, or I joined the, the Australian app and the Economist app. And every day I'm, I'm reading, uh, reading articles, not reading as many, but uh, listening to a lot of different articles. And... Um, and it's, it's been working really well. And then the other day, Wes and I were just sort of having a bit of a riff about some of the things that were happening that we we're seeing on the news. And it just turned into this great conversation. And I was encouraged by it and I learned a lot from it. And, and so we thought, hey, why don't we just grab out some of the stuff that's happening in, in news, chat about it. Some of this stuff is going to be really relevant to what we're doing in business. And some of it is more just high level stuff and just an awareness of what's happening going on in the world. So Wes, why is it important for us to at least just have a lay of the land and understanding what's happening? I don't know, but can I have a bigger stool next time? <laughs> I feel like a little gimp <laughs> down here. And uh, one of the things that you'll notice is uh, Craig and I are quite different. He has the economist to open on a laptop. I'm, I'm, a, I'm old school paper kind of guy, right? So. You might think that's a difference between whatever, Gen X and Gen Y, but... There's only actually is three years. There's only a couple of years difference between us. Um, anyway, that's got nothing to do with today's show. I don't know. I've always, I've always studied macroeconomics. I always study what's happening in the marketplace. I always have. You know, I, I, I think there's so much to learn, actually, from learning about what's happening 
and, and, and none of it that you'll see is the normal news. I'm not interested in reading the Australian. I'm only interested in the business section and the Fin Review. I'm not interested in reading about anything in the news except business. I find business probably has the least spin uh, out of any section, right? Yep. So, you know, I wouldn't say none, but, uh, but, but the least. Um, for me, I've always studied it, right? I remember in 2007, eight when the GFC came, I, uh, I told all my clients to stop watching news and stop, stop reading the newspaper and stop watching the news immediately overnight. I literally rang them all one morning after Bernstein's went down and I said, stop it because they're going to poison you. And they did that, which was amazing. But I still had the ability to go through and read and, and, and just see through the lenses, right? So, so from that day, like 2008 through to now, I still read current affairs on the fly. You know, at the airport, uh, at a hotel, in, you know, down here at a coffee shop, whatever. I'm always across the big stories because I feel like they give us a, they give us a picture. The, the numbers are eye-wateringly high, but they give us the, the processes and the thought processes behind how to do small to medium business. You know, like we'll we, we read about a company that's doing a $7 billion acquisition well, the way they did it is no different to how you buy your competitor for $70,000, all right, or, or, or whatever, you know, a, a small acquisition. So, so much of what plays out in the tabloids is really good education for how to handle ourselves as as small business. And at the end of the day, every single business featured in here was once small. Yeah. Every big business was once a small business. So, so they've gone through that period of time and I don't know, I, I just love it. I, I, it also shifts my faith when I read stories of a $7 billion acquisition, I think, Got to play a bigger game. Got to got to do more. So definitely makes you stretch. Yeah, yeah. So so all of that all that together, I think, is a reason why we're going to do it. But Craig said to me, "Well, how about we jump on the camera and we do some together?" And by the way, if you guys like what we talk about, then let us know. We might go and do it a little bit more often because um, there's always stories. But Craig comes to me and he'd be like, "What about the, I read this this morning and I read this this morning and we'll chat about it for a few minutes." So anyway, um, I'm kind of in Craig's hands here. He he can he's got some topics. And then we're just going to kind of talk about them and work out what, what can we learn from some businesses. And I, I've got some in here too that I've highlighted. I'm actually going to start out with um, maybe going off on if you have ever attended one of Wes's, uh, I suppose, summits or the live training, you would have heard Wes talk about the, the seasons in business, the summer, winter, or winter autumn, uh, fall, is it? No, fall's even, yeah, that one. Um, yeah, obviously. We're not, Amer- <laughs> not, American, not American. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm married to a Dominican who is very Americanized. So, uh, so, but there's one thing that uh, there's a funny story that you always share. And actually, I just walked in uh, into the office this morning, and you're like, "Crape, what do I say? Are the two warning signs that that summer, that economic summer, is ending? And uh, those two are." Well, I know them. Um, it's, it's your joke, so yeah. I thought I'd let you so, say it. Yeah, so I mean, in fact, I did one of my most successful episodes of KBTV was when I taught about the economic cycles, right? And it, that yep. was only maybe two and a half months ago or something. And mm-hmm. I said on there, and I've said it from stage, and I've said it to all our clients, the two indicators that tell you that economic summer is going to end are when all of the property spruikers enter the market and do big seminars around the country with no money down real estate. That's the number one. The second indicator that you need to look for to know that economic summer is about to run out is you jump in a taxi and they start giving you investing advice. Right? When, or you go to a barbecue and your Uncle Bob, yeah, who's Uncle done Bob. nothing good with his life, starts telling you about some hot stock tip. 
that's when it's time to go, okay, if it's filtered down to that lowest common denominator, it's time to get out and turn liquid because I'm going to go shopping when it goes bad. So I'm not, I'm not actually prophesying the, you know, the end. I'm pro- probably saying it's the beginning of the end, yeah. right? So it, years. This is not like a, you know, the world's going to fall apart in 24 months. This is it's not that a 2020 thing. No, it's not a 2020 <laughs> thing. It's a, it's a 2025, 2027, 2028. I mean, who knows? But it ain't now. But we're starting to see it. And um, and uh, I think it was in this one. Yeah, I think uh, it really amazed me actually that that the story was in the paper. It may actually be here. Let me just. We're so well prepared. This is why I don't like paper newspapers. There we go. That's not the only reason. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, in his, uh, we're in the Fin Review, and page 37 today is Investors Warned of Rising Spruker Activity. And so when I saw that, I was like, hey, Craig, what are my two things? And he was able to recite them. He took about a 20-second pause, and then he was a good student, and he recited them. And, and in the story, we've got Margaret Lomaz, who, if you've ever studied Australian real estate, you'd know that she's like the queen and by the way, she, they're, they're not rubbishing her in this ad. She's the one fighting for reforms. Um, so good on Margaret. But basically, it's saying, here we go. You know, and, um, and, and it talks about the, the filth of what goes on. You know, these property spruikers, um, this is pre-GFC last time, they would particularly, they, they would get $40,000 for selling one, one residential deal. And then they would sign people up then they would get a clip of the mortgage broking and a clip of the property management if it was an investment property. And what they were doing was they were, they were just selling property at ultimate retail prices. You know, like if the, if the property was worth 500 grand, it was sold for 505. Like it was, it was the absolute maximum. And, and half of them didn't value up actually in the end anyway. Like, you know, I've got a terrible story about an Australian bloke who runs a big investment like spruiking company. And he would just sell them through seminars. And, and a friend of mine bought one. He came to settlement day. He gets a phone call from the solicitors. You've got to chop in eight grand today, right, right now. And he's like, well, how do I get eight grand? You know, like, and he's like, well, it didn't value. And in your clause, you can't back out. And, uh, and he's like, right. So he starts ringing and begging and borrowing off his parents. And he does a deal. And I'm like, far out, these people. Then we need regulation in the industry. Anyway, um, just, just to kind of, you know, I always want to be the person that helps you out with the information. Like, um, you need to not get sucked into these scams. Like if you're going to go into real estate, don't pay retail for, for real estate. Don't ever pay retail. Yep. You know? And if it's a no money down real estate deal, you can't afford it. Yep. If the only way you can buy real estate is no money down, you need to rethink your strategy. Because everybody I know that did no money down real estate ended up with no money left. Well, the problem with no money down is you can, when you buy a property, it's not just the property that you're buying. It's your your mortgage insurance. It's the the broker's fees. It's it's everything like that. So you end up paying 110% of what the property is worth, and then you've got you've got 100% equity, but you've got 110% debt. Now, of course, if it's a massively rising market, you can get away with a little bit of that because by the time you settle, it could be worth 110%. Yeah. But but what fundamentally, anybody that needs to do a deal with no money on real estate can't afford the deal. They don't have a business yep. thrown off the cash to let them afford to do the deal. That's, yeah. that's the big problem. Because then when it turns against them and they can't get a tenant for three months and they couldn't afford the house, now they've got to fire sale it at 90% of what they paid for it. So it, it, I, just, I, saw, I saw so many friends that were well-meaning and they'd saved up their whole life, started doing real estate, and they had to sell it after the GFC and they took a bath. 
And some of them took six or seven years to recover financially. Some of them even more so. And, and it's like, man, you know, you couldn't afford the deal. Yeah. Bible says if you chase get rich schemes, you'll end up poor. So that's all that is. So in watching like, the, I mean, this is, this is the reason why I want to start out with this one is because it kind of emphasizes the importance of us being on top of the, the current news. What are some other things that we need to be wary of, of what we're looking out for, but also our own personal financial activity in preparation for this? One of the other indicators, one thing to look for is when a bank starts to lend a, more than 100% to the value of a home. <clears throat> so back in those days of pre-GFC, and, and you know, I was back in business in Australia in 2004, five and six in the lead up, you could buy a hundred, you could borrow more than the value of a home. So you could borrow 100% of the home and then you could borrow enough money to pay the legals and furnish it and get in it. And, and, and that's, that, that's when the banks are being super corrupt because what they're doing is in Australia, we have recourse lending, which basically means they'll lend the money to you. You can't just back out. Yeah. In America, if you can't pay your home loan, you just post the keys in and there's no recourse. But here we have recourse. So, you know, like y y you would look to those banks. Um, I mean, now is a great time to buy real estate in essence because you can get 2.9% locked in for five years. Like it's amazing yeah, opportunity. Like low rates. <laughs> yeah, and, but, mm. and, and if you consider that, that 3% interest rate is tax deductible, it's really only 2%. You know, and inflation is probably that target. So it's 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 a it's a pretty amazing opportunity that presents itself now. But um, how do, what what do we do? The the way I the way I always run is I run in cycles, right? I'm I'm in deals, and then when I before I think, I'm never trying to maximize every deal. Yeah. I would rather get in one, make money, and get out of one so that I have liquid cash, right? I am um, I am more interested in having buffer than I am getting that last few percent out of an opportunity. Because the lost, the little bit of money you lose, you gain by having money because, I mean, let's play it out. Like if you were to hang on to a real estate deal for an extra 12 months, let's say you picked up, unless it was a growth strategy, let's say you picked up another 20 grand, right? Just by holding, but then the market fell away. If you had sold it one year earlier and missed that 20 grand, you've got cash. You can now go and buy that house 50 grand less because it's crashed so you may you may lose a little bit but you you gain a little bit more and you can sleep at night which has got to be the name of the game so you just mentioned there that um uh i like to get into a deal and get out quickly how do you because some people may interpret that like well that's that get quick i didn't actually you know, say like, quickly no i just said get get out before it's before the end of time like trying to time it in such a way where it's like okay i think i think it's going to go bad here so i want to get out before that yeah um, rather than rather than be waiting, I don't always want to hop out of deals. Like I bought real estate in the GFC, yep. and I bought it at eighty cents in the dollar, and I've still got them now, and the tenants have paid them off, and they produce cash every single month. So, so I'm not trying to always get out of them, but but if I was to do, if I was to uh, the next time that there's a big run in real estate up here in Queensland, because New South Wales and, and Melbourne have already had theirs and still having theirs, but we haven't had it up here. Next time there's a big run up here, if I was to hop in to try and do a uh, you know, a, a, a run of like prices going up, that's where it's dangerous because you, you can time that really wrong. Yeah. Whereas if you just do straight up buy and hold, you really can't get it wrong, right? So long-term yeah, so, yeah. So the houses that I bought went down in value for a few years, mm. five, 6%, nothing crazy. But they did, like it meant nothing to me because I had no intention of selling them. So 
just a long-term play. That's that's kind of how I... But if I was going to do a short-term, right, I'm going to buy houses, hold them for two years, hopefully they go up and get out, I'm always trying to... I would rather shorten that than yeah. hang on and get caught. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Um, what do you guys think? What do, what do you guys think of the economic summer and, and, and uh, what it means for your business? Um, just being wary of where you're putting your money and what, what, you, what you're investing in at that time. Um, move on to the next thing. Something that, uh, you know what? Streaming wars. Streaming, did you, did you hear that Disney Plus released in Australia last week, I think it was, and I don't know, now I'm way confused. I'm Netflix, I've got Stan, I've got Disney Plus. Now there's way too many options. Look, not actually gonna talk about watching TV because I know Wes doesn't, <laughs> doesn't go for that at all. Um, but I, I, I suppose for me, bringing up the, the streaming wars is just seeing how much value there is. They're saying that $650 billion has been spent over the last five years on content. And now that Disney have come about and uh, C CBS, I think it is, that has their own, um, their own streaming services in the States as well. And, and there's Stan. all the standard. So there's all these streaming services, like all these big people that are now pulling their content is it out K of. KO? They're a sporting one. Yeah, they're, they're the, they're the <laughs> they're, sporting they're one. Advertising in here. Um, and so you've got all these all these big players that are now pulling their content, like Disney. Now no one else can have their access to those, and and it just shows. There's this. They say that Hollywood studio rent space has just like quadrupled and tenfold because now everyone's just so desperate for for creating content and for me the the thing that jumps out at me with something like this is well number one the disrupt disruption the disruptors are now being disrupted yep. and <clears throat> one thing that you're always going on about well, we just finished live training last week and at live training you, it seemed like you were just playing an old record over and over again with these people, with our clients. Some clients haven't still gotten it about content, creating content. We are in an era, I, I remember going back oh, 10, 15 years ago when I was uh, running events and we were creating content for MTV. And they were hungry, and they were talking 15 years ago, that nowadays people are hungry and getting even more hungry for content what does this mean for a practical business person? Yeah, yeah. Well, the streaming wars is an interesting thing to watch because because um, Netflix probably have first mover advantage. They, they weren't the first, but they were the first to get a critical mass. But, <clears throat> but they run the risk of being swallowed, actually, because, um, well, none of them actually have a pathway to profitability. The, the only one that actually has a chance of running a profitable business is Disney. Yep. And there's a few reasons. It can cross-sell a lot more products and services into its database, yep. right? So Netflix has to do partnership deals mm. to, to cross-sell. Disney can just sell its own stuff. It's so broad. So it picks up margins. It doesn't cost itself yeah. anything. Um, now, the other thing is Disney owns the rights to nearly half of the content in the world. So yep. like you said, Disney just goes straight to Netflix and say, all that stuff you're showing that's ours, you now can't show it anymore. That, so I don't know. I mean, Disney have the deepest pockets. So, but what's really interesting is Disney when they launched, it didn't work. So, yeah. so they didn't hit their numbers. They're anywhere near the expectation of what they're expecting when they when they launched whatever it was seven to ten days ago. 
So, you know, I, I think that's, I think it's an interesting one to watch. I, I think it's another case of um, humans don't move as fast as the market are saying, right? So yeah. there's no, there isn't the adoption of this stuff as fast as they think. Like it's, it, it, humans just move a little bit slower than, than the market give it credit for. So, um, you know, I personally hate Netflix. We have Netflix, but, I, but as a family, we, the, the kids watch a little bit of that, that really like age restricted stuff. But when I sit down with Kimberly at night, we spend more time flicking through trying to work out what to watch than actually watch. And there's been many times I flick through and go, oh, it's too hard, it's kind of bad, <laughs> yeah. right? So, um, so for me, actually, I, I don't even see it as a phenomenal product. I haven't checked Stan. I know it's, it's the same thing with slightly different shows on it or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not that sold out on, on those business models. But I do like not having ads. That bit I do like. Yeah. So... I think the, the, the future of those streaming companies is nothing but the data. So all they're doing is taking content and selling it, and then they're going to take that data and be able to mine it and, and do other things with it. That's where the money is going to be. The question is, can they last between starting and getting to the point where the data is useful? Can they burn? Because they're burning cash all the time. They're not profitable. If they burn too much between now and then, will they, get, will they stay alive is, the, is probably the name of the game. And what about the... Um yeah, like, I mean, you look at them, you're like, I love no ads, that's great, but YouTube never used to have ads either. And, and then, you know, there's so many things that started out without ads. Do you believe that that's, that's probably inevitable that they'll have at least some pre-roll ads or something like that, or? Well, if they do, their business is gone. Yeah. So they've got to find a way to monetize elsewhere. They've got to. If they start putting um, ads back into Netflix, then I think their number one value proposition has just disappeared. So I don't know. I think I don't know. I, I think that that'd be a bad business model if you know if that's what it is. Yeah. So create content, create your own content because people are hungry and starving for content. Yeah. Six hundred and fifty billion dollars spent on it. Yeah, and what's really crazy is that we can all do it now through one of these. So I mean, we're doing it now. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like we are sitting here producing content for you that we are going to leverage. We're going to chop it up into you know, 20 small bits of content, 178 bits of content this week will go out from this show. And then we'll run ads against it to a targeted audience to get more people in the top of funnel to watch more shows. And, and, and I've spent $35,000 setting up a studio, which five years ago cost you a million bucks. Yeah. So, so, you know, when, when I think about it, like, like there, are, there, are, there are people all over Australia and beyond who sit down at night at the prime time TV slot and they don't watch TV, they watch Kingdom Business TV on their device. Yep. Every night somewhere. Like, what an amazing opportunity. That's what you need to be, you need to be thinking like that for your business, whether yep. it's a plumbing business, graphic designer, accountant, taxidermist, whatever, start producing content and put it in people's hands because they are watching this device more than they are watching the stupid television. Yeah, I mean, look, when I was creating content for MTV, like we were spending almost $50,000 an episode. Mm. And then now it's, couple of us just sitting in front of a camera having a yarn and like thirty thousand dollars to set up the, the well, place we, and then we've that's done it. sixty episodes. Yeah. For less than fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. So guys, people are hungry for content and they want to know what you know. I mean you look at you look at Netflix, what's Netflix's number one watch programs? Documentaries. Like that's what their number one piece of content is, is documentaries. So people are wanting to know. They want to know stuff. They want to learn. They want to, they're a little bit voyeuristic and they want to get, get into your world and create some content. Mm. Talking about big tech, uh, 
Netflix, everything like that. There's something that's been going on. It's probably been going on for long for a couple of months now. Um, poor old Mr. Zuckerberg dr dragged in front of the Congress and, and everything like that. But good. And <laughs> he doesn't. Antitrust, antitrust, uh, antitrust laws against these big tech. People are dis people like they're they're trying to break up all these big tech companies. What are your thoughts? Is it an advantage? Is it a disadvantage? But what should we be doing, and where should we be going with that? Well, the the antitrust laws are real because we. I mean, it's always been there, right? Rockefeller was made to blow up his company. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, Bill Gates was forced to blow up his company and separate it all out, and it's because. And fair play to a government when one company becomes a massive monopoly and they have, you know, like, like Facebook have five million bits of data on every single one of us. Yeah. That's more information than the government has. Yeah. So that, they're at risk. So I think it's, I actually do think that it's probably wise for a government to limit the controls that mm -hmm. a big business has. Especially, um, you know, especially a Marxist left-leaning company like Facebook, right? Because yeah. they, they're just, you just never know what's next Right, yep. so that's that would be a real concern for a government. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is they don't have the same rules. So we have media rules in Australia. If you discriminate yep. against somebody, right, there is an entire process of what yep. to happen. Facebook, none. Yeah. And in Australia, actually, right now, they're 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 actually going to drag our social media platforms under the same um, media code yeah. as, as the rest, right? Yep. Which is which is a huge thing. Because right now you can say anything, and and what if, if you watch that Cambridge Analytica story mm. unfold? Like um, the Russians did pay Facebook to produce ads um, to um, to swing the American election. Now I'm not suggesting Trump was involved, yeah. But but we know that Russians did it. They wanted Trump in, and so yeah. they spent. Like there there is a story that has come out of Facebook where. There were executives from Facebook who went to Russia and came home with rubles because they had just done deals. Like it was, it was a real thing, right? Yeah. So, so that, that's <laughs> crazy. And, and and by the way, nothing illegal. I can run ads. Yeah. I, you know, I could run ads tomorrow for Scott Morrison, and and it w and I wouldn't have to get his compliance to do it. Mm. So that's that's what took place. That obviously needs to be cleared up yeah. because because it's um, it's not fair on the rest of the media world to to not have to play by these rules. Well, they have to play by rules that these guys don't have to. But um, I think what does it mean for us? I think it's going to mean very little. How, how do you, but like as a business owner, if they bring in like the, the media, like legislation, etc., for social media. The costs will go up. The costs will go up because obviously they'll need a, a legal team running all, all that stuff. But... Then we are limited and we are then, I mean, we always talk about it all the time that there's suspicions of throttling and stuff on Facebook of certain content and everything. Yeah. Will that then diminish the power of, of these big organisations? Probably, um, but they'll find a way around it. But you what know? about for us? So we will have to pay a higher price yep. for our ads because they're just going to factor all those overhead back in the pricing. But what that will actually interestingly mean, like as micro, like me in my world or you in your world, what that would actually mean is probably a lot of competitors will leave. Yep. If the price was to be twice as much for Facebook tomorrow, more than twice, more than half the people would leave. Yeah. Which would leave it wide open for anybody in any industry. So remember, we, we, we don't care 
We do not care for Facebook at all, or Instagram, or LinkedIn, or TikTok, or the the Fin Review, or the Australian. Like we do not care. Take what care we care about, about mm-hmm. what we care about, is can I put my business in front of the right people and profitably market my business? That's what we care yeah. about. So when Facebook Facebook will go through a journey and it will either choke or it will come back, and we will either find something else or it'll become viable again. Yeah, you know, like. Like that's why we like you know when people say to me, oh man, it's so bad that Instagram have taken how many likes you get off your posts and Facebook, and I'm like, who cares? We don't care. We don't care about likes. Mm. We care about can I profitably put my business in front of people? Yeah. And if you can do that, then we should not be wedded to platform yeah. or technology. That's why I don't really care because by the time Facebook fails, something else will be around. I think one of my big conundrums, I suppose, because I'm in this juxtaposition of like breaking up these big tech firms, like breaking them off into their little segments. I get that they're buying, like, so for example, Google is trying to buy, and the ACCC are trying to stop, or they're really looking into Google buying Fitbit for $3.3 billion. And it's purely just so that they can get our data. Like they just want to know how many steps people are doing, but there's a lot more data in the back end for that. But part of me is, is saying, oh, privacy, and yeah, got to be protected from all that sort of stuff. But the other part of me is like, well, they can create a much better better product for me if they know all my data. It's the same cat and mouse that's been around forever. Like, you could imagine when they first started printing the newspaper and everyone went top of the train station off their steam train with their little flat cap and got their newspaper, you know. You know, uh, these... The, the people that own the newspaper were able to tell, oh, more people in this part of the country were buying this newspaper than they were this newspaper. They've been data mining forever. It's just looking at your business and learning out what works. You know, should Google buy Fitbit? I mean, it's a bloody smart move. Yeah. I get, because they get to see where everybody walks to work, not only steps, where they go, where they stop. Mm-hmm. They stopped 15 minutes at a coffee shop. Like, it, 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 it's the same as what we've got in here. It knows everything we go and where we go and how long we pause for and where we check in. So, that's a lot of information. Now, there is a part of me, there's a part of me that thinks, I don't want Google to have that much information. There's definitely a part of me that thinks that. And then at the same time, I think, well, that stuff's been going on forever. Yeah. So, you know, the, the sinister person would say it's a bad idea. Um, part of me thinks that's the role of government to some degree, would be to intervene so they don't exploit us. And then at the end of the day, we're being exploited. Yeah. And and but the same holes in the system that Google can use, I can use. Yeah. So you know, I mean I'm I'm not too too scared about Big Brother. It doesn't like I I just don't know what what's the alternative. Mm. You know, what's the alternative? I mean, you know, we unplugged and went around Australia in a caravan for two and a half years, but you can't do that forever. Yeah. Well you can, but your good life's gonna suck after a point, you know. So it's I don't know. The, the way I look at it is God called me for tw- to be alive. In, you know, I was born in 1978 and I'm called to be running business in 2019. He knew that. Yeah. He knew what this place was going to be like. He knew what, what technology was going to be involved and he still called me forward. So if he, if he trusts me to be alive now, then why would I complain about the world that we live in? You know, I just got to go about doing my best to be a light to other people and point them back to him. And what's this, because I mean, for me, I'm more leaning on the side of, I don't care what data they've got for me because like Siri makes recommendations without me even asking her because she knows everything about me. Like it just makes my life easier. But at what point I know there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there, especially especially Christians. We we sometimes can be, be the worst of those sorts of things. You know, Mark of the Beast and all those sorts of things. At what point should we protect ourselves? 
and how? Go and get a yurt and live in a hill. <laughs> <laughs> but you won't run a business. Yeah. Got to be in the game. Yeah. And I, I, I don't mind the game. You know, like, like I am, you know, if I was like, well, if you get Alexa in your house, then they know and they're going to rob you. I'm like, yes. And there's probably some times that that's going to take place. But I'm also going to put the Kingdom Business podcast on Alexa so that people can yeah. yell out from the lounge room, can you play the latest episode? So the same system that you could whinge about, I'm just going to milk it and talk about Jesus on it. Like, um, everyone's like, you know, Facebook is of the devil. Really? I talk about God on Facebook every day. Yeah. <laughs> so let's not be too upset. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, big tech, break him up or not, let's just use them for, use it for what, what's available to us to grow our businesses and, uh, and have influence. Yeah. Great. One last one. Have any of you heard of WeWork? WeWork is a, a co-working space, probably the most, what, not necessarily the biggest, but it was the most popular um, really trendy with a lot of hipsters in beards and thongs, rock, sandals rocking up to, to work with their, uh, with their chai caramel lattes, as Wes would no, say. No, it's pump, pumpkin now. Pumpkin. Kind of a pumpkin latte. Pumpkin and cinnamon latte. Pumpkin and cinnamon latte, thank you. I was like, does that come in men's? <laughs> with their pants that don't go all the way down and stuff. Um, no, you've, got have, you've got to have good looking ankles these days, otherwise it's not fair. So we work. We, it's actually oh, you've got that's it open. that one. Yeah, yeah, but great. I, there was something else I found. Um, but. So we work uh, has went to go for an IPO. Went third for, IPO. Third IPO. Went for some ridiculous one hundred and fifty. No, mil, no, forty-seven billion dollar valuation. Billion dollar valuation. Um, so there are there are co-working spaces that have gone all around the world, but they don't own any space. So they're strat- they're try- no, they're try- they've got a little bit. They've changed a little bit. They've okay. got a little bit. So their strategy was, we'll go to a really expensive real estate, commercial real estate's place. We'll lease like a bunch of floors in a, in a prime building and we'll put a 10-year or 20-year lease on it and lock it in at one price. So yeah, we get people paying us a couple of hundred dollars a month or whatever to be a member. And their, their game plan was, at the moment, they're losing money on it, but as inflation goes up, they'll be able to charge more for their memberships, but they'll still be paying the same for rent. So that was the theory. And so it was running more, it was being, they reckoned it was going to be valued more like a tech company, which is yep. just exclu- exclu- yeah, excruciatingly increased prices. Um, but the CEO, Called to stand down. Well, he's gone. He's gone now, um, and now now they're trying to repackage it and everything like that. But what does a story like this mean for for us? Well, it, it's another it's another classic example of the world gone mad, right? They they have just tried to do too too big to fail. Yeah, they're the Uber of the the leader of this world, right? So. You know, Uber is going to be, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, it will be the Uber with the largest corporate failure in human history, okay, soon. But that's yep. it, they're gone. And we work are gonna be pretty close. And what's interesting is both founders were that um, move fast and break things. I don't care about the law. We're doing it like we are a law unto ourselves. We will just smash it until we win. That they've both both been marched out of their companies. Yeah. Okay, so and then the companies have started to tank. So we work, um, it's a really interesting model because 
they they went they, they went to a first IPO and they couldn't do it because they didn't get the support, so they pulled back. They went for a second IPO twelve months later, didn't get the support. They went for a third IPO this two weeks ago, at a valuation of forty seven billion, and they couldn't get the support, so they pulled it. They're now valued at eight billion dollars, from forty seven billion dollar valuation two weeks ago to eight billion dollars today. And the only reason why they're worth eight billion dollars today is because most of the things that they've signed up for, they get a one year rent free period. So in one year, they're about to have their overheads are about to you know 10x right. Now, now, now let's look at numbers. So total total income for WeWork last year 1.8 billion, right? Total income. Uh, with a loss of 800 million, right? So they spent 800 million more than the 1.8 billion they did in sales. That's not even the bad news, right? Because this year, they've, they've doubled their revenue and doubled their losses. Think about that. They've, do they've doubled their revenue and doubled their losses. Like, it's the worst business in the world. Every single one of you watching right now, if you made a 20 grand profit last year, you are running a better business than <laughs> we were. Work. Right? So... Um, because, I mean, the whole goal here with WeWork and all those tech companies is they raise money, right? So these guys have raised $8 billion. That's what they've raised. Mm. And, they've, and they're burning it. They're down to one in the bank. So they have spent $7 billion. And their whole goal is raise money, right, and then burn it. And then at some point, the sales pass the burn rate, and now you are profitable. Yeah. The problem is they never get there. And Box and Dropbox, no, no chance. Skype, no chance of ever becoming profitable, Okay. This, this is another example of the same thing. So how do we take this? And you know what's really interesting? 50 years ago, it was illegal to list a company on any stock exchange if you were not profitable. Mm. In 2019, zero companies that list are profitable. Tech companies that list are profitable. So what a shift we've had. Um, I just think that it is, that is absolutely ridiculous. And so is that, like I want them to fail. Is that a pure Babylon play or was it just an unwise play? Um, it's probably driven by Babylon. It's probably yep. driven by greed. It's probably driven by ego. When, when you raise $8 billion of somebody else's money, it doesn't really matter whether it works or not, right? You know, you, you're just going to get to play around with something and then, and then, and then, you know, what's really crazy about Silicon Valley is Adam, I think that's, yeah, Adam's the founder. He's been marched out of the company. If they burn it and this goes under, he'll be able to go to Silicon Valley tomorrow morning with a new idea and raise another billion dollars. They do not care. Yeah. So, so yes, it's, it's Babylon, but it's also insanely unwise. Like, like surely, surely, surely profit has got some value. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Really? Yeah. Really in business? Yeah. You mean to be profitable? Yeah. Nah. Yeah, I, I, you know what's what's hilarious is there's no other global there's no other global co-working space company right yeah. there are there's there are some that are big like Australia's yeah. got one that's that's fairly big but none of them are global if these guys had just gone fifty percent slower mm -hmm. they would still be number one in the world and they would actually probably have a chance of being profitable. Well, there was uh, another one which was the number one before these guys. I'm, I'm just trying to find their, their name. I forgot what their name was, but they had the share of co-working spaces and they were a very profitable company and they were doing well. And then they started to go backwards even before WeWork came on the scene. Then WeWork came on the scene and, and they keep going backwards even further. It just seems like 
that if so, if the best of the best was was going backwards, yeah. then but you got to think through the business model. Here's something for, that would be valuable for you. Like, who is WeWork's customer? Well, I, I'm assuming that there's is their investor. Yeah, but the, the people that pay the money are these really small bootstrap startup businesses. Yeah. The most vulnerable business in the entire ecosystem. Oh yeah, good The point. single operator yep. who has got small revenue. Because once you do once you do one million, two million, three million, four million, you're probably out and in your own office. Yeah. So they have built a business around the riskiest customer in the entire ecosystem. And the easiest person to get out because it's like, I'll just work from home. Yeah, and yeah. heaps of people are off you know, like hopping in and hopping out. Now, the, the idea of being able to go into a flexible workspace is actually a very good idea, but the, the economics are not there. Right? It's great for you as a business owner. Yeah. <laughs> not great for them. Yeah, and, and they're proving that, that they can't get sticky customers and there's obviously no margin in it. Um, and that, you know, they're burning, they're burning $2.7 billion a year to earn 1.8. It's, it's crazy. I, um, there was, in, in The Economist, they brought up this great analogy of do you remember the story of the emperor and his new clothes? How, uh, I don't know if you know, remember this story, but the, uh, there was this emperor who had someone come, a special tailor come and make him a special outfit and there was actually nothing there and the emperor was parading around with nothing on, but anyone, no one would dare tell him that, there's, that he's not wearing any clothes because, oh wow, your, your new clothes look amazing, emperor. Um, they drew this analogy with WeWork that WeWork was this, this company that was walking around with no clothes on and everyone's like, oh, you're amazing. No one dared tell them that it wasn't working. And I, don't, I look at this from a leadership perspective and you look at all these tech, people, tech companies that have these, I'm going to say air quotes, leaders that have these great visions, but you listed a whole bunch of zero road to profitability. And I don't, I don't see that as leadership. I, I see that as someone with, with a crazy idea, but a leader should be someone that has a great vision that people will follow for, but also has a strategy to get there. Yeah, a profitable strategy. To me, these clowns are, are, are no much, not much better than Bernie Madoff with the world's largest Ponzi scheme, mm. right? You know, like, to me, that's all it is. And you know what's really crazy is a lot of people have made a lot of money out of Uber and WeWork, but yeah. they were Silicon Valley and it's a game of hot potato. So if I bought in at one billion, Right, and I bought some shares, and then I sell them for two billion. Right, on the value, the valuation of the business is going up. That's like great. I made a billion dollars. If I bought in at two billion and I sold them for five billion, I've just made a heap of money. If I buy in at five and sell for ten, so everyone's doing that. The problem comes when you bought in at forty billion and you can't raise at forty-seven, and now it's worth eight, and you've taken a whole, you know, billions of dollars of mum and dad's money. Yeah. in your LLC to be able to put this in and now you've lost it. Yeah, that's, that's the people that usually lose out, isn't it? Because it's, they, it's the it's, end of the hot potato. It's yeah. the last person holding it that, it, that it that ends up being ripped off. So Silicon Valley made the money all the way through. Mums and dads end up holding the can at the end. And I hate that with a passion. So, I mean, Silicon Valley has its place, but the way they do business is ridiculous because they're just, they're just betting with everybody else's money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's a real shame. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we run this business, we run it out of profitability. We make investments, we make them out of profit, right? We, you know, we invest in things. He we do squeezes it a dollar out of everything. Well, I've got to talk to you about your annual wage de decrease next year. But yeah, that's, that's, you know, like that's the world that we live in and it ain't great. Um, and, and 
And, you know, like, like let's just transpose this to Dave Ramsey, right, who yep. we've spoken about. And if you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, just Google him. He's amazing. And um, he's America's money guy. 13 million people a day tune into his show. You know, he's just cash flowed his own office at $70 million cash. At, you know, he started selling a book out the trunk of his car. He's built a thousand-person company um, and, and cash flowed his own office at $70 million. It's like, at a, you know, out of cash, no borrowing. It's like... It can be done. Yeah. You, you don't have to go and do this whole Silicon Valley. And, and done a kingdom way because he's a kingdom guy. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. It, it's not like it's the only way to do it in 2019. You, you know, there are plenty of businesses that are growing really well, steadily out of cash flow. So I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's, one, it's one model and it's broken. My encouragement to you is taking away from this WeWork and Fiasco and all these, all these big companies is... I'm sure God's given you a massive vision for your business and we're believing for you that, that you'll achieve that. But just remember, the vision alone isn't enough. We need proper strategy behind it. We need the hard work and the proper strategy behind it. So, yeah, seek out the right advice for, for strategy. Get into your quiet place and ask God, like, God, give me a strategy. He will give you a strategy um, and, uh, and learn from as many different places as you can so that you don't just have a big vision and just running aimlessly at something that's never going to make money, but you can be strategic and have some, build something that's influential. So, by the way, if you liked this kind of like, uh, you know, macroeconomics chat between the Craig and I, then put me, like, just say, you know, enjoyed it or something in the comments because... You know, if you didn't, then we won't do it again. But if you did, then then we'll grab these newspapers infrequently and jump on here and, and talk about stuff. You know, like there's even more, but we, I don't want it. We're, we're probably done. But I've still got a list of a couple yeah, of others. Yeah, but yeah. like I want to talk about Oriton and their bounce back <laughs> in the retail sector and stuff. But anyway, we can do those on another day. So anyway, if you enjoyed it, put something in the comments that would that would let us know uh, whether we should we should do this again. Yeah.